uh, listening to the message, and I said, Lord, I'd like the opportunity to speak. <laughs> and ten minutes later, pastor walked up and said, would you like to do one Wednesday a week? I said, well, thank you, Lord. <laughs> so <clears throat> if you've got any complaints, please talk to pastor. <laughs> I thought tonight we might go on a trip to the Philippines, um, a little boat trip. And um, how are we up here? Sorry. I have to learn how to use this. There we are. Sorry, I went too far. Here we are. So this is just typically one of the ministry boats up there. And uh, you can see there, it, up in the Philippines, they typically have the two outriggers, not like the one you often see in other countries, parts of the Pacific and that. And uh, there's a nice illustration about this that the Lord's sort of given me over the years. And I've shared this message with people up there in different ways because they obviously can relate to it very directly because so many of them are fishermen and these things. So um, there's some things here that I thought the Lord might just bless us with tonight. Now, I've done this um, rather rough sketch of a, a fishing boat here. And uh, this can be you sitting in here tonight, okay? This is um, a small one that has no motor with it. We call them a broto, which is probably a Spanish term. And... Um, it has no motor for it, so it needs to be driven somehow, somehow by the, by the person sitting in there. And so first of all, the, each part of this picture represents something that we can think of, consider, apply in their Christian life. The ocean, in general in scripture, the ocean is, and the seas are seen as humanity in the world. And I've got a few different couple of verses I've put up here for us to read. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind. And uh, Here in Revelation, sorry. Uh, and he said to me, the waters which you see where the, where the whore sits are uh, peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So here we are in this boat and we're in the world. And the ocean there depicts, depicts whoops, the world. Now, the boat itself, for us as Christians, is the Lord himself, somewhat like uh, Noah's ark had one door and Noah and his family were, had to enter into that ark in order to be saved from the flood waters. And for us, our boat is our salvation in Christ. And we are in him. So Corinthians there, we see, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. And you are complete in him, who is the head of all principalities and powers. And so the boat here depicts our Saviour, the Lord, and us sitting comfortably and resting comfortably in him on that boat. Yet we're on the world, on the ocean, but we're not part of the ocean, are we, of course? The best place and always the safest place to be will be seated in that boat, no matter what comes to that boat or around that boat or whatever happens. The safest place for us to be will always be to stay in the boat. Okay, so next of all, he's got a paddle there. You can see the man's got a paddle here. And this helps represent 
our own works, our own self-effort, trying to work our way, we might say, to heaven when uh, using this in an evangelistic sense. The Bible tells us it's part of our flesh, our own good works, trying to make our own way to get to heaven. And it says, so then those that are in the flesh cannot please God. So the Lord Jesus says to us, come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Because we know it doesn't matter how hard and how far you paddle that boat, you will never get it to heaven. We can't paddle our way to heaven. So it's just not going to work. So the next thing we have here is our sins. And here we have a, a, a cloud up the top there, and at the bottom we have a rock at the bottom of the ocean because the Old Testament gives us some wonderful pictures of what the Lord does for us in our salvation. He says in Isaiah there, I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions and like a cloud your sins. Return to me for I have redeemed you. Micah tells us he will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. And we know it doesn't matter how bright and blinding the sun may be, if a dark storm cloud, if a dark cloud comes across, it's gone. And if we get a big rock and we throw it over the edge of our boat into the depths of the water, especially there because the water isn't that clear where we are up there before, you can't see it anymore. And that's what the Lord does with our sins. We know that doesn't matter how bad our sins have been, where sin abounded, grace has much more abound, Paul tells us at the, Romans, at the end of Romans chapter 5. And so it doesn't matter how bright and blinding your sin may be, God has a way of covering that totally. It doesn't matter how big and heavy, grievous your sins are, once they're thrown into the ocean, you'll never see them again because of God's saving grace. And that's what we have when we're in Christ and seated in in that boat. So next of all, if we don't have a paddle and we don't have a motor, what's the best way to get this boat going? The best way to make it, the easiest way to make it <coughs> travel is to run up the sail. And the sail represents our faith. But some important things to notice about this sail is we're not hanging on to it. Faith is not our works to try and get to God because some people are confused, aren't they? They think it's if I have enough faith in God, he might accept me. No, the sail is rooted in the boat. Our faith has to be rooted in Christ because he's the one who's done all the work for us. So that sail is our, is our faith. And we know there that... Um, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So, as we saw before, once we're in this boat and we're trusting in the Lord and faith, doesn't matter what comes in that ocean, we will have the victory, the victory over that. Oops, sorry, did that come up? I missed it. So a sail needs wind, of course, and of course we know very clearly from Scripture that the Holy Spirit is pictured in many different ways, and one of those especially is like the wind. And the Lord Jesus himself said, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And this is why the world is so... So at a loss to why Christians are so strong in their convictions, they, we have 
we are driven, as it were, by Holy Spirit that they can't see, they can't understand. And uh, so they just totally at a loss to understand why Christians have the convictions we have. And if you live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For the, and Second Peter, of course, tells us, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so some nice verses there where the Lord is teaching us about the Spirit is the one that is really the one that is moving and guiding, blessing our life. We don't get the sail up and then pull the paddle back out and start paddling again. No, the best thing to do is because it's hard and laborious and grievous is to throw it away, especially in a hot, steamy climate like the Philippines, and put the sail up. And the wonderful thing with the wind is what? Especially as Christians, it's always blowing doesn't matter what situation we're in, the wind will always be blowing. The Holy Spirit is always there, available, freely available for us as Christians to, to keep our life walking and moving and living and being blessed with him. We don't have to go around looking for him. He's just a prayer away, as we so often say. So The wind, we can say, we put the sail up, but it is the wind that gives the power to the sail. We put our faith up in the Lord, but we always must acknowledge and remember it's the Holy Spirit is the one that must be working behind that. It's not up to me now to, to you know, be clever, as it were, but just always humbly rely on that Holy Spirit to be the one that is uh, motivating everything in our life and moving us. So... The little boats also have a, a rudder. And of course, for us in our Christian life, it's nice to have a rudder. We need a Bible, don't we? We don't become a Christian and then that's it. We make it up ourselves. God has given us the Bible, which in so many ways is, of course, a light to our path and that. But it's also like a rudder to our boat. And um, again, the rudder is not just floating in our hand here. It's bolted to the boat. And though the Lord has given us a rudder in our hands, we still acknowledge that it has to be rooted in him. He is the one who laid down the rules for this book. He's the one who tells, sets the rules, the precepts for how it's to be understood and applied. And it's not like the cults or other groups or people who use the Bible willy-nilly as they will, along with their other ideas and opinions and writings and that. No, this Bible is purely... Um, has to remain in the hands of the Lord that we can, what's that, appropriate through faith, through the work of the Spirit, is to teach us and open these pages to us so we can really live with them and, and apply with them in our lives. So we need a rudder. And um, if we throw this Bible away, set that by, which is, this is, of course, what happens with cults and all these other groups, they've annulled the, the, the effect of the Bible by introducing other authorities and things. And as Paul says, they rest the scriptures to their own destruction. And uh, I can't help but make a comment here tonight. We, we have a government that is rudderless. We have a government now that is rudderless because the Greek word that, Government comes from the original Greek word that we get through Latin and French into to English, which we say government. And the original meaning of the word government from Greek was the helmsman or the steersman, the pilot of a ship, who of course needs a rudder 
in order for that ship to go where it should, safely. And sadly now, um, <laughs> thankfully because of the Lord, we have a rudder. But uh, we have a government now that is so... I said to my wife, I don't think they've turned their back on God. Rather, they have said to him, we don't want you or your Bible anymore. Go away. Which is worse, isn't it, sadly? And Mao Zedong in China, the great you know, founder and father of the revolutionary communist um, um, government in China, was called the great helmsman. But Christians wisely noted, but he had no pilot. He had no pilot. And as a result, countless millions of people in that country have perished through his terrible policies because he had no pilot and he had no clear rudder. Thank the Lord we have a, have a clear rudder. And uh, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, profitable for doctrine, for reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So... Thank the Lord for, for our rudder. So, next of all here, trials and temptations. We know that the ocean in the world, we, Paul and many have said that we would have trials and temptations, Peter, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, may be found unto praise and honour and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And again, Whatever trials or temptations or problems come in our life, tribulations, the safest place to be is always stay in the boat instead of looking for other options of, to escape from a trial or temptation that the Lord has permitted in his wisdom to come our way. And uh, maybe it's come because of something we're doing wrong, but we stay in the boat and Lord help me to get right again. We don't jump out. Because I know, we know people personally in the Philippines who did that and drowned. Situations where they're in trouble in their boats. They got out of their boats to, rather than staying in their boats and being patient and waiting for other boats to come and try and help them. They got out of their boat to swim to other islands, drowned. So the best place to stay is in, always to stay in the boat. Next of all, whoops, sorry. Down here, every boat needs an anchor. And of course, down here we have an anchor. And uh, the Bible is very clear about who our anchor is, isn't it? Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Of course, talking about the Lord Jesus. How through his work and salvation is now planted. He's seated at the right hand of God. He is the anchor of our soul. And having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. So we have an anchor that doesn't matter how big those waves and those trials will be and attacks on our boat, we have an anchor that can never be moved. And that is something that when we're going through the hardest trials, we have to remember but Lord, I have an anchor that cannot be moved. And I have to rely on that. It's not for me to pull the anchor up and try and find another place to go and shelter. It's for me to stay in the boat, hang on to that anchor, keep a firm hand on the rudder, 
So whatever attacks are coming against my boat, Lord, you are there because you are a boat and an anchor that can never be defeated by this world or whatever trials and tribulations come my way. And then with this, what else have we got here? Um, okay. Here on the, the outriggers, the katig, we call these, the two katig, with the eagle, both have two, don't they? The boat has the two. And, of course, it helps to keep the boat stable because they're quite long and narrow and they would quite easily tip over. And they do in a really nasty sea. They tip anyway. But um, they have the two, and they call that killing, killing, to, to steady this. And... Um, it keeps the boat from flipping and sinking and that. And the eagle, of course, has two wings. And uh, some years ago now, I read a wonderful book by Hannah Whittle-Smith, and she spoke about the eagle having two wings. It didn't have one wing. It had two wings to rest on the wind, and they were like trust and obey, she said. As Christians, when we rest in the, rest in the Lord and let his spirit like the wind for the eagle be the one that just flies us along effortlessly instead of flapping and paddling and sweating it out, just like the eagle with his two wings, trust and obey, and it helps us just to rest in the Lord and let his spirit be the one then to move, to move our life. And as we know, it's much easier to go with the wind than against it, <laughs> which is what eagles do very well, just gliding with the wind, and it looks so effortless and so peaceful. And that's what it's like for us too. Even we can have a bad trial. And um, she said in her book, she said, we can thank the Lord for any trial that causes us to use our wings and rest in him and just trust and obey. And of course, they must go hand in hand. I can't say, I trust you, Lord, but I won't obey. Or obey you, Lord, but I don't think I, I don't want to trust you. It has to go together as a package, doesn't it? The same with this boat. We need both. We need the trust and obey to keep our life in the boat with the Lord steady. Or else if we don't, it's going to get pretty rough to our own fault. So we need to keep the, the outriggers in good order, trusting and obeying so that the Lord, our ride with the Lord will be, be really pleasing to him, we might say. So... But those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Getting there. Evangelism. We have the net over here. And um, of course, again, the net working with with the boat, evangelism and ministry. Um, it's interesting too that usually these boats in the Philippines, um, the bit slightly larger ones, they have two or three men working together as a team to work the net. It's not a one-man show. And um, so the net is partly a picture, of course, of church ministry working together as, as an outreach and a blessing to the community. And... It's interesting pictures in the Bible we see too about Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon and called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. So Peter was casting a net into the ocean, fishing. A bit later, he saw two other brothers, James and John, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. 
And there's some wonderful pictures in the Bible, aren't there, of the character of people, how the Lord used them. Peter, of course, was a great evangelist, we might say. We talk about him having the keys of heaven. He was the one who preached the gospel at Pentecost. Then he went to Samaria. And then he went to Cornelius and the Gentiles and just opened up the gospel ministry as if casting that net out into a, you know, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all the ends of the earth. And he cast that net out. And we think of Peter as the great, um, that, sort of that great evangelistic, we might say, apostle. And John is often referred to as the apostle of love, hasn't he? He says so much about love in his writings. And um, he, um, it's interesting that he is the one here that is mending the nets. And the word mending here is used elsewhere in the New Testament for perfecting. It's used in 1 Peter for perfect, after the trials, the Lord will be perfecting you and and strengthening you. It's like the Lord in his grace is just mending us and fixing us, just the way John in his love was repairing that net and uh, working on that net and perfecting that net so that the ministry of, of the net being cast will be so more effective. So, and each net needs to be held together with little knots, doesn't it? And um, we could see those knots as love because if the knots are not strong, what will happen to the net? <laughs> Charles said it all. <laughs> it just ain't going to work good and it's not going to be effective and it's going to be very difficult to mend. If there isn't love there, it's very difficult to mend something, isn't it? If people aren't going to love each other and a problem, it's... <laughs> I'm sure pastor's nodding his head down because it's very difficult to mend things when the proper need just isn't there. The proper equipment isn't there to fix it. So, above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfectness, the bond of perfectness, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body, un, body unto the edifying of itself in love. And so if a church is going to have an effective ministry and evangelistic ministry and these things, love has to be there binding the people together or else the church can just go kaput. And uh, the Lord, it be hard for the Lord to bless because that's the character that he has insisted the church have. So, and along with this, we have a sign over here that says no fishing. Because it's very easy to go fishing again. Yeah, what you did to me two years ago. Hang on, I thought that was a rock you threw into the ocean and you forgave me for it. Why are you bringing it back up again now? <sighs> you know, <it> would, <laughs> and it's, we all know it's not easy. Two of the great signs of maturity and Christianity of our life, and they go hand in hand, of course, is humility and forgiveness. A mature Christian has to have those things, humility and, and, and forgiveness. And it's very easy to fish things up from the past that have happened and let it affect us and maybe hold grudges or whatever or, or things like that. And it's an area in Christian ministry that we have to be very careful of because we go fishing in the wrong spot, we can rip our nets open. And uh, that ain't good for the net and isn't good for the ministry. So we have to be careful where we go fishing. We may ruin the love that binds that net together. 
By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Now, okay, where is he looking? <laughs> where are we looking here? Uh, there's, whole lots of, there's a lot of wonderful things they talk about in the Bible teaching about where you look. It says a lot about where you're thinking, where you're thinking. People who have re- great regrets are really looking backwards, aren't they? I think, I'm sure a lot of us have regrets. We look back in our life and wish things could have been done or said differently. And we look back. A little Christian here is not looking backwards. Is he looking around? We can say worry looks around. So does um, temptation. Wow, the world looks pretty good over there. And the world looks pretty good over there. Or I'm worried and I'm worried about this and that around me. Or um, he's looking down in sorrow. Just looking down in sorrow and defeat and just lostness, loneliness. No, our man here is looking forward. And that wonderful picture of faith looks up, it looks forward. And uh, of course... Where else should be looking but, but uh, looking, whoops, sorry, looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who was for the joy, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So as our boat of life is going along, we have to keep our eyes fixed forward and upwards in faith, looking, looking to the Lord. And keeping, making sure that that's where our priorities are, where our interests are, um, you know, all the things that are really so important in our life have to be forward and looking to, to the Lord, to the Lord Jesus. Now, where was this boat going? It doesn't seem to be going anywhere, does it? You know, the world would look at that and say, you're not going anywhere. But <laughs> we're heading for somewhere we just can't see. We're on a boat heading for somewhere with our eyes we can't actually see. And the world doesn't see it, has no idea of it, and they just think, as some um, authority in America recently said, Christianity is a mental disease. That's the way the world is going. I, don't th- I think they haven't considered all the great people of history who were committed Bible-believing Christians. People like Isaac Newton, who some claim was the greatest mind in history. He had a mental disease. People say the dumbest things, don't they, without thinking? And really put their foot in their mouth? While we do not look at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. Temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Temporary. I was telling the men in our Bible study group, in the Philippines they use the word lumalabai, and the root word is labai, means to throw, to pass by or throw. Temporary things are just disposable, throwawayable. You just pass by them and they're gone. And that's something that we can, in wisdom, maybe judge in our life what is really important and what isn't. Lord, is it dispensable? Can I pass by it? Can I throw it away? Or is it more important than that to me? And then maybe that's a challenge to deal with it if it's something you really believe the Lord doesn't want in your life. Or if it is something that's really important that the Lord has laid upon your heart. Lord, I can't 
Lord, I think you want me to do something with, with this. So it's not something that I can simply pass by or throw away. Um, it's of more eternal, eternal value. And set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. And so God's grace, and all that we've just discussed tonight, of course, is under God's grace. God's grace available at Christ's expense. Because all things that God has given us are according to his grace, aren't they? His free gift and his grace. And I once heard a beautiful example of grace was like a warm blanket on a cold night. And I've never forgotten that. You get into bed on a freezing cold night, you get under that warm blanket, and you just remember, this is like God's grace. Even though it is cold outside and that, but under God's grace, you know, we're secure and we have a rest and uh, his warmth is with us. So thank you very much, Pastor.